Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Let's pray once more together here. So Lord, come and through your word, through these commands, we pray that you would, by your spirit, change us, help us, give us grace to uh, do what verse one of chapter four says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called to, to, to live with one another in such a way that it would magnify your name and your purposes and your grace. So come, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, through your word, and be with your people now. Change us, reform us, renew us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've seen in chapters uh, one to three uh, what God has done for us in Christ from eternity past into eternity future. And then last week, we saw the text kind of take a turn, as many of Paul's letters do, from what God has done into what God is calling his church to do in chapters four to six. So the question would be, why does Paul do that, right? Why not just stick with the beauty of what God has done in Christ, right? We love to sing about that. We love to hear about that. So why doesn't Paul just do that and not start giving us commands to do like these things like, hey, go do this. And I think the reason is that because all that beauty and truth and goodness is meant to get inside of us individually and collectively by the power of the Holy Spirit and start changing everything in our lives. So that's what Paul's gonna call us to. And so Paul is eager to see the church not only redeemed, but reformed around the gospel of Christ into the image of Christ in like every little nook and cranny in their lives. <laughs> this is gonna give situation after situation for the next few chapters, and he just wants to see the gospel in Jesus get into every nook and cranny of their lives, every nook and cranny of your life, like meaning your life, because God loves you so much, is not safe from his reforming power. <laughs> He's just gonna keep coming after you in every area, and if you're like me, you'll get somewhere and be like, oh, that's better, and then you'll like, open that door and go, oh no, <laughs> there's all that stuff now that the Holy Spirit's going to get in there and have to work out in your heart. And the other day, trying to think of an analogy for this, the other day, uh, Pastor Nick and I spent quite a long time sanding down a certain piece of furniture that needed to be smoothed out to find some new life, right? We got our assignment we spent a long time, we had to get all the rough edges off, right? get all the, the old stuff off so that new life could be put into this piece of furniture. A kind of long-term standing off of our rough edges, of our hearts and minds, I think is what God is after through his commands, through his purposes, through his words, so that we can receive new life and then show off a new kind of beauty to the world, the beauty of redeemed, reformed lives. And as that happens, as that happens, we'll be happier. <laughs> we'll find more joy in walking in true life. But we can create new, true, good, and beautiful categories for the world around us. That's what he's trying to do in us. Categories like 
forgiveness. Categories like humility and peace and hope and joy and humble submission to God rather than bitterness and pride and unrest and hopelessness and angry existence and defiance of God. In other words, the church is meant to imperfectly but truly create new categories for human flourishing that shout the goodness and beauty of the gospel. And so that's where Paul's moving out. You've been saved, you've been redeemed, and now you're gonna be reformed to shine forth my goodness in this kind of compelling little community you have. So let's dive in here and see how Paul gets to those places. Point number one, futile minds, hard hearts. Look at verse 17 to the beginning of verse 18 with me to start here. Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. So Paul starts by exhorting the church to not give in to the mindsets and practices of the world around them. He's saying you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's what that means. Don't be like what you see all around you. Don't go where the world goes. But then he tells them why the world goes where the world goes. Right? It's not just because they're worse people and we're more spiritually sensitive, like we had some morality that got us there. He's saying they're just completely unable to do any better. He says because of their futile minds, because of darkened understanding. These are two ways of saying the same thing. Remember earlier, Paul was so thrilled praising God that the Ephesians' eyes had been, what, opened to see the gospel, right? He said, your eyes have been opened, and so now I can pray that you see even more, fuller color, fuller context. And here, he's just as confident that the world around them does not have open eyes. Now, to be clear, does this mean that the world, if they're not Christians, can't think at all? That the world can't reason, that they can't study science or sociology or say anything intelligent? Of course not. There's a lot of people that aren't Christians that know a lot of stuff better than I do, right? So many people that know so much stuff, so much better than I do that aren't believers. That's not the point. There's all sorts of common grace in being made in the image of God that helps human beings to reason and think and solve problems. And I only say that because sometimes as Christians, when we hear something like this, we can get a little puffed up like we get to win every debate, We get to always be right. And that's not the point here. The point is what Paul says as he keeps going. Look at the end of verse 18. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words, the darkness or futility that Paul is talking about comes because they're unplugged from the ultimate source of reality. That's what he's saying. He's saying they don't get what it's all about. (laughs) They can't see the the full picture. They're alienated, separated, unplugged from the life of God. Why? Well, because ultimately, it says here, they have hard hearts. And that hardness in their hearts means that they can't see the most important things, (laughs) the most true things, the the deepest things of reality, like the horror of sin, (laughs) the goodness of God, the need for salvation. They can know a lot of things, but miss the deepest, most important things. And it's not ultimately a mind problem, but a a heart problem. 
So Paul's saying ultimately they need to not only hear true things, but God has to do heart surgery so that they can receive those true things. They can see their sin. They can see God. They can see the goodness and beauty of Jesus and want to follow him in all of their lives. So kids, a way to think about this would be to imagine you're in a dark room trying to find your way, but you you can't find your way. You can't get where you want to go. You can't do things the way you're supposed to do them. That's what it's like to not know Jesus. But Paul's saying something even more here. Paul is saying not only are you in the dark room and you can't see Jesus, he's saying that you know there's a light switch and you decide you want to stay in the dark. That's what it means to have a hard heart. They don't know Jesus and they don't want to know him. Right? Maybe someday we pray they will want to know him, but in this state they don't yet want to know him due to their hardness of heart. So you don't know him, you can't see him, there's nothing in you that wants to know him. What will that lead to? We'll look at verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So in other words, the long-term darkness, the long-term hardness has led to a long-term callousness, which helps them go all in on their sin. The callousness, I think what's happening here is it's numbing the conscience so the wrong doesn't even feel wrong anymore. Right, it doesn't even feel wrong. So if you say, hey, that's wrong, why are you doing that? Just go, that's not wrong, (laughs) doesn't feel wrong. Right, and what are you gonna do in that moment to to argue, right, nothing. Right, so they're not just content with a little sin because a a little sin doesn't satisfy anymore. They just gotta go deeper and deeper in so that the hard ignoring of God leads to them being greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And this makes sense. If you don't know God, if you don't know the gospel, if you've not been saved by grace and inhabited by the Holy Spirit, what else would you do besides dive into sinful pleasure? I know some might be more obvious and some might be less obvious, but what else would you do without knowing God and having the Holy Spirit? What do we see as we look around our world, right? Greed to practice every kind of impurity. What did the Ephesians see as they looked around their world? Greed to practice every kind of impurity. If you think this is new in our time and place, it's not. This is how it's kind of always been. So as we look around at a world Diving into sinful pleasure. As we see their brokenness and their lostness and their hardness of hearts, we should look around with compassion. Compassion. This is all of us before Jesus. This is all of us before he softened our hearts. We should speak the truth in Christ and pray that God would open the eyes of their hearts to see. And as we look around at the world, we should hear Paul saying to us, don't join in. Don't dive in with them. Don't Go where they're going. And think about why you'd have to say that, because he knows we'll want to. (laughs) So before we feel like it's us and them, he's got to give these commands, he's got to say these things, because he knows you're still going to want to. You're still going to want to go there. So that leads to point number two, renewed minds and holy hearts. Look at verses 20 and 21. That is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him, And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Why don't we join in? Well, Paul's argument here is because 
we know better now. That's really his argument, right? And, and if you've ever been a parent, right, you find yourself saying things like that sometimes, right? When the same mistake is made over and over again, you say, hey, you, you know better. You don't want to go there again. You don't want to do that again, right? That, that's what Paul is saying here. Why don't we join in? Because that's not how we learn Christ, and he's so much better. Paul says, you've heard about him. You've come out of the darkness and the ignorance and into the the light and the knowledge of Christ. You've come out of the lies of your flesh and into the truth of Jesus. You've come out from under the sway of Satan and into glad submission to your Savior. You're not who you used to be. Don't go there anymore. Don't be there anymore. Be here where it's good, where Jesus is. He uses an analogy for clothing, right? If we look at verse 22, he says, put off, take off, Your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So he's picturing the sin and the ways of our mind and our heart, the way we used to be before we could see Jesus as these kind of dirty clothes. He says, take off those old clothes you used to wear when you were running after everything but Jesus and put on Christ again. Abide with Jesus again. Take off the old clothes that belong to who you used to be and were what you were tricked into wearing. Right? That's what deceitful desires mean. We thought those things would bring fulfillment and joy right, and peace. But then we found out they didn't in Jesus. Right? They didn't. We were tricked by outside influences like the world and demonic influence. And we were tricked by our own deceitful heart. He's saying, but now you know that doesn't fulfill, Right? You've learned Jesus. You know that doesn't bring you what it promises, right? Just to make it a little bit more specific, right? You know clicking on that link or running after that unhealthy relationship doesn't actually bring you any lasting fulfillment, just lasting guilt or lasting emptiness, right? You know blowing up in anger doesn't actually make you feel better. feels good for like, 20 seconds, right? And then it doesn't, right? You know nursing that bitterness doesn't bring you life. It just kills you from the inside out, right? You know that selfish attitude doesn't get you anything. It just wears you out because you're always needing more for yourself. You know that dishonesty wasn't freedom for you, freedom from getting caught or found out. You know that dishonesty was prison, (laughs) locking you up in chains in your relationships, right? You know that that greed for power or money or popularity was exhausting, not satisfying. So he's saying, he's saying, you know, (laughs) you've you've tasted Christ. That's who you used to be, what you used to think, but now you know. So what's the alternative? Well, it's verses 23 to 24. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. He's saying you're a new creation, (laughs) created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. All humans, right, made in the image of God, made to shine forth the righteousness and holiness of God, but then sin gets in there and it distorts and destroys. And without redemption, we're stuck, honestly, acting a little bit more like animals 
than humans pursuing truth, beauty, and goodness, right? We're just acting on our desires, just acting on our whims, just running after that next thing, instincts and deceitful desires controlling everything. And Paul says, you have the Holy Spirit. You've got him. He's in there. Let him do his work. Renew your minds. You've been recreated by God and can keep growing as you're renewed by the Spirit and reformed in the image of Jesus. Kids, what he's saying is that a picture like this, if you are outside, imagine you're outside playing, and right, maybe mom and dad say, hey, don't go get dirty, but what do you do? You end up in the mud, right? You roll around in it, you're messy, you're covered in all sorts of gross stuff, it's dirty, stinky, torn up, holes, really bad shape. I know holes are cool now, but like the bad kind of holes that aren't cool in bad places, right? And so the next day when you get up, would you go the next day and say, I'm gonna put those on again? Right, you, you liked rolling around in the mud. <laughs> you liked getting dirty and smelly and gross, right? But you don't wanna get up and wear those clothes again, right? You don't wanna put on the stinky, smelly clothes that were so fun seeming yesterday. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, put on new, clean clothes. Don't go back to those old ones. That's what Paul's saying about our sin. You know Jesus now. You know what's good and true. Don't go back and put on what you know is bad and dirty and a lie. So maybe you're saying, how do I do that? How do we actually do that? How do I actually put off my former self with its deceitful desires, put on this new self renewed by the spirit into the image of Jesus Christ? So let me just read you a verse where Paul says this a little bit differently, but I think it's the exact same idea. It's, one of my, it's two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Here's what it says. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It's <laughs> good news. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. This verse is teaching that the veil of our hearts has been removed. Praise God. We can see, right? Do you see this imagery in the New Testament all the time? Darkened, blinded, veil removed, see. We can see the Holy Spirit lives in us to bring us freedom from the prison of our darkened, deceitful desires so that we can turn and look to Jesus and see his goodness and beauty and truth and righteousness and actually care, <laughs> right? Say, yes. That's what I want. Yes, that's who I want. Yes, that's what my heart wants. Yes, that's what I've been looking for. Yes, like him, living like him would be like the best thing in the world. It feels so good to glorify God. And as we look at him and enjoy him, we get changed slowly but surely into his same image. How do you put off what is old and put on what is new? You look to Jesus. Over and over again, you pray for help from the Spirit to have your heart see and love his truth and beauty. So let me say it this way. As you want to click on that link, right, just put yourself in the moment. I don't know what your sin is, but you can find yourself somewhere. Right? As you want to indulge in that desire, you, you feel it coming. As you want to explode in that anger, you feel it coming. As you want to gossip just a little, through a prayer request. <laughs> As you find your heart 
wanting someone or something to fill that lonely void you feel. Right? As you want to give in to gluttony again because of some pain or apathy or restlessness in your heart. Right? As you want to make that harsh or hurtful comment to your spouse, to your kids, or to a friend, as you feel your heart thinking, if I could just be more popular, if I could just have more money, if I could just have a little bit more power, I'd have some security or peace. As you want to play, again, that record of wrongs about that person that's always stuck in your head, as you want to right, fill in the blank, you, you, you know the feeling, what do you do? You stop and you breathe. <laughs> Just take a second and breathe, right? And then remember. So stop, breathe, remember. What do you remember? Remember who you are from Ephesians 1 to 3. Amen. Right? Redeemed, adopted, right? Reformed, filled with the Spirit, inheritance forever, predestined from eternity past to eternity future. You remember not just who you are, but that in that moment, there is real power available to you to fight your sin and move towards Jesus. Remember Ephesians 3, the end of that chapter, the end of that prayer. You say, hey God, fill me again with the fullness of God. (laughs) Right now, I need the, the fullness of God. Right now, remind me how wide and deep and long and high is your love for me. Ask God to remind you of his love for you in Christ. Open the word of God, right? Just find a Bible. You have it right here all the time in your phone, right? Find it. Open it. Look for a promise. Stop and talk to God. You know you can talk to him, right? Like he's real. (laughs) He's always there. So as you're about to sin and give into that temptation, he's like right there and you can just be like, okay, you're here. You, You see me, right? Even remembering he's there might be helpful in that moment with what you're about to do. Say, help me. Help me, I need your help. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I don't want to go here again. Ask him to give you help in the moment to not be deceived but renewed. Now, all that I just said so emphatically and emotionally, right, that, that all takes like 10 seconds in the moment, right? You feel it coming, you go, no. Lord, help. Remember a promise. God, you're here. I, I need your help, right? You breathe. You say, okay, it's not going to be good if I get angry again, it's not going to be good if I explode. It's not going to be, I'm not going to feel good in 20 minutes if I click on this link. I'm not going to feel good if I keep nursing these bitter thoughts. That's not who I am anymore. I don't, I don't want to put those clothes on again. I want to put on the, the new ones. And connecting this back to our passage last week, along with those 10 seconds that you will repeat over and over again 7 billion times in the Christian life, Find a few people in this place, this church, who know you. Not 27 people, that's probably too many, not 50 people, but a few people who know you. A few people who can speak the truth and love to you and want your good and maturity. A few people who know your particular places of darkness and deceit and will ask you good questions to speak the light and truth of Christ into it. A few people who help you look to Jesus when you're running from him so that you can be transformed more and more into what I would say is just true humanity, the image of Jesus, fuller peace, fuller joy, fuller satisfaction that glorifies God. But walk with a few people in these things, not alone, but together. 
repeat those 10 seconds over and over again and find a few people who you can either call in those 10 seconds or you can report to after those 10 seconds and say, hey, I need your help again. I need you to love me again. I need you to remind me of Jesus again. Last point, renewed lives, his heart. So coming off Paul teaching them to leave behind what is old and dark and deceitful and to lean into what is new and light and true in Jesus, Paul gives them some commands. He's not going to leave them guessing, but give them some examples of how this new reality actually works out. In other words, he's saying, hey, this is how they are. This is, that's who you used to be. This is how you are now. And if you're like, that seems really up here, I'm just going to tell you things like, hey, you should stop lying. <laughs> right? That's, lying isn't the way Jesus does things. Right? So he's just taking it, confining it up here in your mind. Here's how you change. It's way up in here in the clouds to like right on the ground. Don't do these things. Do these things instead. Commands are not popular today, right? No one wants to be told what to do anymore. I get that. But let me tell you, I think they're supposed to function in the life of a believer, right? The commands of Christ are meant to lead us into the life of Christ. Say it again. The commands of Christ are meant to lead us into the the life of Christ. In other words, two things happen when commands land on a people. This is a, a good way to check your heart. To the darkened mind... The unbelieving mind, the commands mean nothing at best. They seem arbitrary, right? They seem boring. They seem like killjoys. Maybe they seem judgmental or even threatening and be behind the time. So if you're in here and his commands feel like that to you, it might be that you just don't know Jesus yet. That's okay. If his commands come, you're just like arbitrary, boring, killjoy, judgmental, threatening, Maybe you still know Jesus, and that's, that's okay. We, we've been praying that you would know Jesus. But here's what happens in the, in the redeemed, renewed mind as a command comes across. Even the redeemed, renewed mind that is, you know, barely flickering in that moment, the, the weakened, redeemed, renewed mind. Here's what happens. The command comes, and something in it smells like life. <sighs> Even if you're living over here in death, <laughs> it's like that. I know that's it. <laughs> I know that's true. Right? Why does that happen? Because the Spirit lives inside of us to testify to our hearts of how true and good that command is, to show us the character and beauty of Jesus through his commands. Something in our hearts goes, that's good, that's right. And we don't walk away from it. We don't let it just like go away. Instead, we let it renew how we think. God says, don't do that. I'm doing that. It means I'm living in death. I want to live in life. We let, it, we let it renew how we think about things. We let it conform and reform our reality because we know it brings truer and fuller freedom and flourishing the glory of God. And then there's this important point, which is really obvious, but it's really important. As we hear it and we know it's true and it rings of truth and we know it's better, it's gonna be more freedom. This is a really important step. We obey it. We actually obey it. So if we're doing this, we actually stop and repent and say, I wanna go that way now. Right? So, so many of us short-circuit spiritual maturity because as we realize things are wrong, we, we think about it for a while, but we don't actually follow through and just say, Lord, help me 
obey this. Help me do this. The commands of Christ are obeyed to bring us into the life of Christ. In other words, we obey for our own joy, for our own hope, for our own happiness, and for the hope and joy and happiness of those around us. We don't obey, let me be really clear, to appease God. Like we're gonna earn something, right? That's already been done once for all. God's wrath has been appeased. We obey to please him because our renewed minds know that to follow Jesus is the best thing in the world. You'll notice how all these commands, Paul ties back to some truth of the gospel we've already seen in chapters one to three or some truth about referring to this family of God that he's creating. The gospel creates gospel realities and gospel responsibilities, especially in the gospel family, meant to lead us into life and a compelling picture for the world of the truth and beauty of Jesus. In other words, the commands are here because we still need some sanding, right? Individually and corporately. That's why they're, they're here. They're meant to say, that's not true, but this is, see commands as an invitation. The commands are here because family life is messy, right? So let me ask you a question. It's gonna feel like a risky question, but I'm gonna ask it to you so you can just see the need for these. I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by or frustrated by someone in the church. Well, good, you're honest. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. There's a command for that coming up really soon. Right, so, so the church is messy. Right, we, we hurt each other. We frustrate each other. And so these commands come in to go, don't do it that way anymore. Don't walk that way anymore. So here's how I want to end Uh, as we head towards communion. Uh, I'm gonna have us all bow our heads and I'm gonna read the command right from the text. Maybe make a comment or two about it, but mainly just gonna let it speak. And then I've just been praying all week that the spirit would go to work. Uh, These commands are not complicated. So like I could preach on them, but you know know what it means to steal. (laughs) You know what it means to be sinfully angry. Um, They're simple and profound. So what I'm praying for is that as these commands land on us and the people by the Holy Spirit, that where there's sin, it would be confessed, repented of, and then you, that you'd rejoice that you're forgiven for it. Right? Confessed, repented of, and rejoice that you're forgiven for it. I'm praying that if there's anyone you need to ask forgiveness from or confess sin to, that you decide to do that and actually take the steps to repair. This is how we're renewed as a people. This is how we're reformed. Just to let you in on it, as I read these this week, and was washing over these, right? I'm doing sermon prep this week, like, oh, these are good. I need to do this. And then I realized, oh, shoot. And so I had to, like, say I'm sorry to, like, six people. <laughs> Send emails, sorry to you, I broke this command, right? Sorry to you, I broke this, right? I just had to say, I'm sorry, I sinned, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And you want to know what happened? Sometimes we're so scared to do that because it, like, puts it out there. But you know what happened? I had people speak the truth in love to me. I had people forgive me. I was helpfully convicted. I was renewed to see the the beauty of Jesus. I was forgiven by others, which helped me to believe I could be forgiven by God again. And I think in that process, I was transformed just another baby step into the image of Jesus. And that's what I want for us right now. 
That's what I want for us right now. So if you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus, I pray that for the first time, these commands would ring as good and true and you'd say, I want this Savior who embodies all that's true and beautiful to save me from my sin. And if you're here and you're trusting in Jesus, I pray these commands of Christ right now would bring you through repentance and confession and rejoicing in his forgiveness in the deeper life of Christ. So why don't you bow your heads and let these wash over us. First one here, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So let the word of God convict you and repent for any ways you just haven't been completely honest. We've tried to avoid or speak half-truths or we haven't said something maybe you should have said to your neighbor. Just confess it right now. Here's the next one. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Confess now where you've been harboring unrighteous anger that you've let hang out for a week or two, creating all sorts of ugliness in your heart towards others. Next one, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Where have you been guilty of taking or grabbing or running after things that are not yours, a heart of self and uh, devouring, taking, rather than a heart of humble servanthood and generosity towards others? Confess it, go to Jesus. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, impure, hurtful, distorting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So where have you been corrupting with your talk, distorting, hurtful, tearing down, not speaking to build up for the good of others and the glory of God, but speaking in a way that would tear down and hurt.
Last one here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So where have you been nursing bitterness, holding things against others in your heart, burning with anger towards others or frustration towards others in your heart, clamoring, talking in little groups about things that are unhelpful and distracting and dividing, slandering, saying untrue things to maybe look your, make yourself look better, malice, just a disposition to harm, not to help someone. And even where have we not been kind, which means eager to do good to others, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Take those dispositions to the Lord and repent and rejoice that you've been forgiven. So Lord, help your people. What an amazing thing it is that by your spirit we're reborn. (laughs) That we can be renewed. That we can grow more and more into the image of Christ. So as we come and eat and drink with you now, I pray that this eating and drinking would be a, a laying down of our sins before you. Confession of our sins before you. And Lord, a rejoicing, a loud rejoicing that your blood has covered our sins, that your spirit gives us new power, and that you're going to keep refining us and sanding us and making us into something more beautiful individually and collectively for the world to see your glory until the day we're with you face to face. So be with us now, Lord, as we eat and drink with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're uh, new here, uh, We have you come on up and take communion, but if you're not able to come up or just want to stay in your seat and meditate, you can raise your hand right now, and we'll actually bring the elements to you. If you're here and you're not yet trusting in Jesus as your Savior, uh, we want you to trust him as your Savior. We've been praying for you this week that you would, but if you're not yet, just ask you to let this meal pass. It's a meal for those who are trusting in Jesus, a part of his family. If you're here and there's some sin you're not yet willing to lay at the foot of the cross, I pray you just did that as we were praying and searching our hearts. But if you're still not willing to, let this pass. Uh, We don't want you to eat and drink judgment on yourselves, but would plead with you to get help and bring it into the light so we can walk forward with you towards Jesus together. And if you're here and there's some bitterness or disunity and brokenness in this body, this is meant to be a, a family meal to show our unity in Jesus. Every week I say this, I'll keep saying it. We're going to have differences in lots of things, right? We've got differences in all sorts of areas, but uh, this shows our unity in Jesus. So you've got to be willing to move towards and seek to reconcile and make things right where you've been wrong. If you're here and you're trusting in Jesus, but uh, you want less sin in your life, you want better relationships, you want the gospel to come into every nook and cranny and reform you 
This is a meal for broken sinners who need grace, uh, who want sanctifying grace to flood in. So I'm gonna say the words of institution, give you whatever other time you need to meditate or finish up meditating if I went a little bit too quick the last few minutes and then you can come and take it when you're ready. The Lord Jesus on the night he's betrayed, he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So finish up your work with Jesus and then come up when you're ready.